here today with Dr. Doug Seifert. Hi, Doug. How are you? Oh, very good, John. Well, thank you very much for coming on this podcast. You're our first American guest, so it's great to have somebody on from uh, from the U.S. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Good. Good to know. Yeah, we've had people on from Australia. We've had people in from different European locations. Um, but I think you're off. Yeah, you, no, you're definitely our first from America. So it's it's great to have the U.S. represented because I know we do have a few listeners over there. So. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, representing you in an entire continent today. <laughs> so, but thanks very much for coming on because I know that you do a lot of really interesting work in immersive learning technologies. And I have to admit that learning technology is not a great strength of mine. So I'm really interested in this subject, but I certainly don't feel particularly knowledgeable. So I think I'm going to learn a huge amount from this conversation. So I'm really looking forward to it. Do you want to okay. just tell us a little bit about how you got into that, how you got into immersive learning technologies? Oh, uh, yes, the, the the start of the journey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, what attracted me to it, this whole idea of uh, uh, immersiveness was that, you know, immersion really allows participants to feel, you know, like they're in the experience. And this has uh, been used in the game, you know, with game technologies for, for decades now. And so the idea then was to, why not apply this immersion to learning? And when starting this, uh, you know, this quest back 15 years ago, it, you only about half the computers could even run 3D game technology, so it wasn't mainstream at all. And it, and and the idea really wasn't about creating, you know, learning games. It was more the vision was to use this responsive game engine and and its animation and visuals and and AI to really create a learning engine. Uh, like a, a game loop will run. It's about 60 times a second, so it's very responsive. So if you can combine this very powerful technology with you know, cognitive science principles, which at that point we had a lot to learn, you can really cre- you create new kinds of learning experiences. And you know, now fast forward to today, it's it's really exciting time that we have, you know, we can really apply this this technology on just about every screen, every device, and, and it can really have an impact on training. So, so it's not just gamification, which is kind of what I assumed when we, you know, when we first started talking about this, when we were setting up this podcast. I thought it was you were going to be mainly talking about, I guess, a certain amount of remote delivery, but also gamification as as the main thrust. But what you're saying now is it's actually quite a lot more than that. Yes, yes, gamification is is a very different kinds of gamification. Really focuses on the engagement piece to. And really where that, that gamification came from was the uh, the game industry really was taking cues from the actual world of you know, how to, to reward uh, people, get motivate people, and then applying that to games. And now it's gone full circle and applying those principles that really have been well honed in games back to, you know, to, to learning and training. And so that, that's an uh, important part of you know, the engagement part is important, but there's a lot more that can be gained through game technology in the learning space. Yeah. And, and of course, to do, to, to think about the use of games in learning, you, you don't necessarily need technology, of course. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always, I mean, my use of technology, as, as I've uh, said, isn't particularly great. I do obviously use it for things like this podcast and similar things in my role, but I'm thinking mainly about using technology for knowledge transfer so that when I get to a face-to-face situation, I'm getting maximum value from it and I'm using it mainly for the social experience, maybe for skill stuff, maybe for kind of trying to influence attitudinal things. 
so as much as possible, I use technology as a fairly, fairly basically, but essentially it's about knowledge transfer. Are you looking at it from a similar position? I guess when you look at it from a training perspective, there's the kind of knowledge acquisition and then applying that knowledge or skill acquisition. And I think we're, we've really focused and I really focus on the, the skill acquisition part, which I really think is sort of the ignored part of training. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> well, it's harder to measure, isn't it? Or harder, harder to do, I guess. Yes, it's very, very hard to do. And I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's ignored for two reasons. One is there's a perception that, you know, s- skills, you know, learning skills like learning Excel or a physical skill and knowledge workers really don't need to to learn, you know, how to apply the knowledge. They, they just can go do that. And I think that's and we can talk about there's a lot of reasons why that's not true <laughs> and, uh, uh, for, for a lot of complex situations. And the other is implementation. As you mentioned, it is kind of hard to do uh, to hard to do well. And, you know, I'm hoping today to convince you that the you know skill acquisition can actually be very transformational um, in creating effective training. That it's 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 the part of the continuum, and and really important. It's the the knowledge acquisitions and knowing, and the skill acquisitions the doing. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think I need convincing of that to be honest. But I think a lot of training is tends to be around knowing the knowledge. So you're kind of get, trying to get people to know how to do something but because skill tends to require practice and skill tends to require uh, often habit changing it's something that can't always be accomplished within a single learning event hence the need to think in terms of longer programs social support communities and things like that so in, in a single event it seems pretty difficult to th- you can only start the ball rolling on most skill acquisition unless it's something fairly simplistic like excel like you said but I think, yes. I think, I think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely sold on on skill acquisition. But it just has to be within that broader program that takes in that, you know, ninety odd percent of it is outside the any training room. Yes, yes, and that's the that's the that's the challenge, and that is the challenge because then you then you're in a situation where we can provide as much scaffolding as we try to do, and people will walk out with the greatest intentions of doing it all, but then they see their inbox and the phone rings and you know, the real world hits them like a ton of bricks and suddenly they've got to, all of those great intentions about joining in in that community and getting involved in that learning set or whatever, all of that just gets deprioritized. And that's why I think, although that's great learning design, it doesn't always work just because of because of that, because there's just too much real world in the way. Well, I think it's also that that deliberate practice of, you know, to actually practicing the skill and that's the... Yes, I think part of what you're alluding to is kind of the whole, you know, the knowledge acquisition that you know, that you have that training and what's the challenge is that you know that Ebbinghaus forgetting curve where you're just, you know, as soon as you leave that training experience, you know, there's a retention problem and so a lot of knowledge acquisition, you know, programs, whether it's live or e-learning, it's battling that forgetting curve. And uh, I'm sure you have uh, had a lot of you know, guests talking about that, you know, the challenges of reinforcement, micro learning, you know, and, you know, and getting the engagement up. We talked about gamification, all these things to try to, you know, kind of retain that, that, that knowledge so it can be applied. I was, I was kind of thinking around just that there's only so much you can achieve within a single learning event and therefore a lot of the skill acquisition if it requires 
new habits or it requires just a practice skill. So it's not something that can just simply be accomplished through knowledge. Then yes, yes. I, I don't know how clearly I'm explaining this, to be honest. Cause I can, but I'm, I'm just thinking, like, if, if you're telling me how to do, uh, I don't know, draw a graph in Excel, essentially, that you know, 99% of that is knowledge. It's not really much skill involved. Whereas if you're telling me how to be more assertive in a stressful situation with the kind of person that intimidates me, then a lot of that is practice, getting confidence. It's all that kind of softer skill. It's it's breaking into a habit, breaking into my bad habits, and trying to put myself on a better habit. Yes, exactly. I think some examples of that are I mean, what we're really talking about is that this training is not being transferred to the work environment, right? So there's no behavior change. And so, exactly. you know, and some other examples of that are, you know, look at like a, a doctor might be, you know, they know about a new, new complex guidelines, but then they haven't uh, really tried, you know, are they going to then want to uh, apply those on their first patient that, 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 that it's a fit for? That's a, a kind of a high stakes, you know, situation to start, gaining experience you know, or, or you mentioned about leaders you know yeah they might know you know how to diffuse a situation but then how do they they have no experience doing it and it's there's an emotional situation is that really the time to practice that that skill you know or you know or salespeople, you know that they know a new sales process they know it's going to help them but when they're in front of their prospect do they really want to start practicing then i mean that's why i think a lot of this falls short is that the you know, you get into the real life of things and it's really hard to apply these things. So you have to be able to practice them in a safer environment. And I think that's really what skill acquisition is all, all about. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and of course, you're right to mention the forgetting curve, because before the skill, you need the knowledge. And yeah, if, if you, and nothing's more likely to make you forget that stuff than being put under real life pressure. Like you mentioned yeah. there, the sales thing or the doctor or the leader in those positions, there's nothing like that pressure that's going to make you want to grab onto your the, your comfort blanket of habit. So yeah, it, yes, it, um, and 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 forget all of that learning or just feel as you quite rightly say it's exactly the wrong time to be trying that out. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, we're talking here about immersive learning technology is the phrase that you use. And we're talking about whether or not we can apply that to knowledge acquisition, but you're also saying you can, but you can also apply it to skill acquisition. Should we go through those separately? Should we, or, or are they one thing? Do we need to talk about them both together? Well, I think the uh, you know with knowledge acquisition with immersive technology, it's really around e-learning, and there's a lot of uh, good examples of of that being done today. I think when you start thinking about you know skill acquisition, I think it's a very different a different approach and uh, to the use of the technology to to do that. And so I think they're very different. So so in knowledge acquisition, you're, you're, I mean, you're right, there's a lot of e-learning out there. A lot of it's terrible as well. You, I think kindly said there's a lot of it is good. To be honest, I've seen more bad than good. <laughs> I, I can think of lots of bad examples right off the top of my head. I'm, just, I'm struggling to think of many good ones, to be honest. It, it's 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 challenging to to actually take something even from a, a live event where you can try to make it interesting and then put it on into a online experience. It's hard to capture that uh, 
that that engagement and i think that's what the whole gamification is you know trying to get those dopamine receptors fired <laughs> to to get more engagement uh you know to apply the learning and i i really think that the that what's missing is part of the continuum with the with training it's that the that there's a continuum between knowledge acquisition and skill acquisition. It's one continuum. And, you know, instead of focusing on trying to do that, the best way to really help them to, uh, to battle this uh, forgetting curve is actually get them in a state where they are actually, you practicing, you know, this, the use of this knowledge and that when they're doing that in realistic situations, that takes that knowledge and makes it personal and part of their story because they're applying it. And then that's the retention. That that greatly increases retention, a tremendous amount. And so because it's part of them now. And then that gets to your point about the the, the habits. So now they if they practice this in a safe environment and they start realizing how to apply it, then it applies, then it works really well in the, you know, in a better in the real world. And then that can lead to behavior change. And and that's really the uh, you know the end goal. That's a really good point, isn't it? It's the, the act of skill acquisition reinforcing the knowledge. You know, if you look at what you know, like you compare average performers to to top performers, and what do you see? It's it's not just that they know things; that they actually apply the knowledge optimally in all these diverse situations, and so they've really developed this skill of you know situational decision making, and so. That's really what's kind of separates the average performers, the top performers in many situations. And so and that is a skill. And so um, there is some, you know, obviously some innate talent there as well. But that skill part is good because it's good to know it's a skill because that can be learned. Um, and so that's why I think that there's investing in skill. The skill acquisition makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, th- that's a really good point because. A lot of the time, the skills we're talking about aren't actually that hard. Like most of us are, are perfectly capable of being quite charming and assertive and having a, a great impact and the skill required to lead a great negotiation or something, or whatever it is, we're all, they're not actually particularly difficult. What they are difficult to do is employ at the right moment in the, under pressure you know, in a skillful way. And it's the conditions that make it difficult rather than the skill itself. Yes. It's that skill of employing it in the right moment, what you call situational decision-making. Because it kind of all does come down to that, doesn't it? Yes, I think that that, you know, that is really the the, the difference maker. It, and, it? Yeah. and it's hard because oftentimes you say, well, well, the, you think about training, you say, well, when this happens, do this. And when this other thing happens, do do something else. Well, that's great. You say, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do then. And when you get in the situation, it doesn't look like any of those those examples. So what what do you do now? Yeah. And so it kind exactly. of paralyzes you with that disconnect. And I think that's that's where you know, this whole decision making process that you really have to have a much more robust, I'd say, mental model about how you're making these decisions and uh, to to really become a very good at it. Yeah, and that goes back to my point about habit, doesn't it? Because if you're making yeah. a, if you're making decisions, you're not just falling into a uh, a well worn track of habit because that's just because you do it thoughtlessly, sub- mm-hmm. subconsciously or unconsciously, whichever it is. You're actually making a conscious decision because that's the the most effective behavior in that moment. Mm-hmm. So it does. It's coming back to decision making. 
That's a really good point. It's all that situational decision making. And this is a skill you're saying that we can all learn. Yes, yes. And I think if you look at the, you know, kind of the two pieces of of uh, skill acquisition, one is practice and the other is coaching. So practice, of course, you'd say, well, practice leads to mastery. But I think practicing alone, it, it ends up with just trial and error. And that's, you know, that's not going to be very effective. And coaching really is the catalyst to all this that we're that if you have that expert mentor guiding the way that the, the, the learning curve goes up dramatically. And so that's really what the uh, become much more effective is combining practice and coaching together. I, I, when you were saying that, I was thinking about my teenage attempts to learn to play the guitar and being quite introverted and quite embarrassed at my incompetence. I would tend to sit in my room with various different books that I'd bought or tapes that I'd bought. And the I don't want to spoil the ending of this story, but I never learned to play the guitar properly. And I wonder if I'd actually had a coach who would have been directing me and correcting me, whether or not I would have, I wouldn't have hit those obstacles that eventually, that, that all slowed me down and eventually stopped me. I would have actually, I'd be a rock star now. I wouldn't be doing this podcast. That's that's the <laughs> sort of long and short of it. Um, but but that's what was missing. It was the coach. The, the desire was there. The effort was kind of there, sort of. <laughs> the practice was sort of there as well. It really was the expert coach that was missing. Yes, and if you think about intuitively about this practicing coaching things, that, that what you described is exactly what you know all of us would want with any new skill, that we would want to have a coach pro- providing that nuance and providing different challenging situations and, and coaching us on how they actually think through and make decisions around those processes. So it's really around the mental models that they have for making these decisions, which are largely invisible to all of us. And to so their goal is to really make them more visible and so we can recognize those mental models and start incorporating their their way of thinking and making decisions into our, our mental model. And, and the more robust it is, then the better we are at able to make the right decisions in in very in all these different situations. Yeah. So so I just want to go back over this mental models point. We're focusing on this situational decision making. And a lot of how we'll approach that is 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 linked to those mental models. This isn't the same as like a physical skill. So we're not talking this. It's all cognitive. Exactly. Which makes it a lot more complicated. So do you want yes. to just talk for a little bit more on that? Um, because I think this is a really, really key point here in terms of how we get behavioral change to help people really kind of bound forward in their performance. Yes. Let's focus a bit more on this. So take take us through this. Process. I can't ask the right question. I can't find the question. Just tell me stuff, Doug. Tell me stuff. <laughs> well, the mental models that are really, uh, if you think about when we when we do construct the knowledge that we we create a mental model, and the challenge really is how accurate is that mental model, and how well will it serve us? It could be deeply flawed, or it could have lots of gaps, and the the mental model of of an expert of someone that's performing well in all these different situations their model's just very robust and so what we want to do is to create a much more robust mental model and the way to do that really if you look at it we talked about the kind of intuitive way with coaching to do that but when you look at it from a more of a cognitive science viewpoint that there is you can think about a number of different theories to kind of help uh, to do this. One, the, you know, the experiential learning, which is very intuitive, just learn by doing 
you know, the situated cognition where you, you know, that you put realism matters, the, the context matters. So that's really what the coach is doing is providing very contextual, nuanced feedback in a realistic situation. And that really resonates and, and, and helps create that behavior change and recognizing that mental model that they have in their head. And the really the probably the, the the theory that probably does the most heavy lifting here is cognitive apprenticeship, and it's it's the apprenticeship has been around thousands of years, and it's it's for physical skills and learning physical skills. And cognitive apprenticeship is the is the thinking skills, the invisible thinking skills that we're talking about uh, with the situational decision making. And so here we're trying to first capture the expert models because they're invisible, so we have to extract them from the expert. And then we have to then provide coaching to have to allow the the learner to recognize those those models. So, you know, humans are are you know fantastic pattern recon, uh, recognition machines, and that's one thing we do better than than uh, actual computer machines at this point. <laughs> that uh, we're still winning in that in that realm, and and so that's really that cognitive apprenticeship really works works well. To do that, and also the last point is really maybe the is the cognitive flexibility, which is around you know more of these complex fluid situations that the more situations you're exposed to and more vantage points, the better you're going to be able to respond. And if you combine all this, it ends up with a you end up with a very robust, more robust mental model, and that allows you when you're exposed in any of those situations we talked about, like the doctor or the salesperson or or the uh, uh, you know, maybe a supervisor manager is exposed to that situation, they're much better t- able to respond because they have a better model that uh, that can serve them well in that situation so they know what to do. And, and so our role in this, if we're working in organizations, our role is going to be thinking about these, what, what you called cognitive science guides. What, what can we be doing as L&D professionals? To be encouraging these four things, yeah. Or to is that is that the right question, or is it to be using these four things in order to, in order to improve the way that we improve the our learning design and learning delivery? I think the problem that we see most when we t- talk to various organizations is that they know how to do this one on one, and they kind of know yeah. how to to lead through. The challenge is they say, well, we have to train new new uh, new uh, new staff every year, and um, or we have to train this large team on this new complex process. And so like, well, how do I do that? That's like, cause that's really a scale thing. And now you have this one-on-one approach that works, but then how do you actually scale that up to a larger organization, larger need and through across the organization? Right. So most, most of the, most of what we talked about previously is, is reasonably known in terms of how to do that on a one-to-one basis. And again, at this point, we're not necessarily talking about learning technology. We're just talking about learning science and skill acquisition. Yes, yes. Because I like some of the language around the sort of the mental models and the cognitive apprenticeship. I think that's really interesting language. And um, mental model is is a concept I was aware of, although I hadn't heard of cognitive apprenticeship. I think that's really interesting way of thinking about it. Yes, we found that to be very, very helpful in, you know, our work to try to address the this problem and how to solve it best, uh, you know, when you're talking about scale, that seems to be the one that's the most helpful. Right. Well, let's talk about scale because, I mean, if that's the bit where technology now comes in and can actually help us. So we're building on what everything we just talked about, but now technology is helping us scale it up. Yeah. 
well, I suppose technology is one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is just getting loads more coaches. Well, yeah, it's more look coaches, and and that's that's challenging on a, a couple fronts. Sometimes that can work, but sometimes the expertise is in a very few individuals within an organization, and it's not easy to transfer that expertise to many others. So that might not even be an option. And and for some companies, what they do is they often train managers to be coaches. And um, I know that happens a lot in the in the, sa- the, the sales world that they go you know, that. And now a manager is is uh, needs to become a coach, but they might not have the acumen to do it or the time to do it. So that that becomes difficult as well. And so you know some of it is can be solved with technology. For instance, you could have uh, you 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 might have a geography issue as everyone's all over the all over the, uh, the country or all over the world. Then you could use video coaching, so you could use technology to do that. But that solves the geography problem, but it really doesn't solve the problem. You still need a lot of coaches. So that becomes the scale issue. And so the and the other thing that comes to mind often is, well, let's just do a webinar. <laughs> and so yeah. we can have our one coach. And that just, none of those, the, the principles, very few, maybe one or uh, slight pieces of a couple of those four pro, you know, uh, cognitive science principles are applied in a webinar. It's completely, you know, it's passive and there's no, it's not personal. It's, you know, it's not really interactive. Even you can try to make it interactive. It's just not going to be, you know, it's not practicing coaching. And so that's not the technology solution. So we have to do something better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I suppose I, I was being slightly facetious saying we could just get loads more coaches because obviously the barrier is going to be cost primarily yeah uh, as well as just like as you say availability of that many good coaches i mean it's just not going to happen uh, in sufficient enough numbers even if you got around the geography issue as you say with some kind of technological solution but anyway let's move on to talk about the technological solutions i think we can agree that just getting loads more coaches and i, I also agree that upskilling managers works only when you've got that manager who's willing to do that and also has a certain amount of aptitude for doing that, mm-hmm. in which case they're probably doing a pretty good job of management anyway, mm-hmm. at least in terms of personal development, they are, I would have thought. But that's not a, necessarily a huge percentage of managers. So again, I don't think that's a realistic solution. So talk, talk to us about how technology can help, because that, that's really your area of expertise, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's their focus. I think the start is is always even in knowledge acquisition or, you know, in skill acquisition, it's not starting with the technology. Well, what cool technology, how can we use this cool technology? It's starting from, you know, the learning gaps, the performance gaps, you know, that, that you have. And then what is the most effective way from a technology standpoint to, to be able to affect behavior change? And that's really where we start. So, so when you think about like, how would you implement, um, you know, technically implement, you know, practice and coaching solution that can scale uh, to do this situational decision making. You know, the first step would be really to 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 really look at what are the most common practice gaps in the organ in your organization, and and those are the ones you really want to scale and automate because if you can scale and automate those, then you it frees up your trainers, coaches, managers to to not have to do that repetitive coaching and. And now they can focus on more high impact activities. So, and if you don't have the coaches, then it's just a it's just a win to have have that that extra bit of uh, you know uh, training that's now available. 
And so the challenge then becomes how do you then implement, you know, this practice and coaching, which is really a, a one-on-one exercise with technology. And the challenge there, I think, is to bring all these cognitive science principles that we talked about and bring them to life within technology. And that's and so what we're doing is really creating, you know, by it's kind of the virtual technology to create these realistic situations. And I think that's the real challenge. So are we are we creating a a very fancy interactive case study? I think it's more than a, a case study because a case study I think is an N of one. What we're trying to do is actually create a, a situation and then be able to understand where you are in that situation and then where you can go. And when you're making decisions, then what kind of decisions could you be making and then which ones are most appropriate in this particular instance? So the goal is to try to make it as real as possible. So it's like you have, so that that virtual experience is a, becomes a surrogate for, you know, doing it in an in actual situation. So a surrogate for real experience. So it's like a kind of a, a virtual reality, a kind of stop-start virtual reality where you can kind of pause and go through that learning process and then restart and make your effective situational decision. And, and I guess in that pause, you're being coached, I guess. Yes, I think it, it can even become more fluid than that. It can be a conversation, just like you that one-on-one where you're put in a situation, you make a decision, and then you receive feedback and nuanced feedback. You can provide that right then right then and there. So that's, it should be a fluid, a fluid experience, just like it would in that one-on-one situation would be ideal. So in a one-on-one situation, we're talking about a, a human being, a qualified coach or skilled mentor or somebody giving you that feedback. Are we still talking about that? And we're essentially using technology simply as a communication conduit? Well, I think what we're we're trying to do is use some artificial intelligence, though, though not to go too far <laughs> with where where we are today. With that, is to to embed that the intelligence of the you know kind of the expert coach and their their pattern recognition and their uh, mental models actually capture that within software. Oh wow! So when you're making a decision. The first thing, the decisions that you're thinking about are, are are choices that they would be thinking and running through their head and saying, hmm, is this the right thing or is that the right thing? And so it's not red herring things like you do in like a multiple choice test. That's not useful. You really want to start wiring the brain of that of the learner to be have an expert mental model. So you really want them to um, see the choices that an expert would make. Then they make a choice and they kind of see through you know a response and and through coaching and what we do uh, that then to see oh that's not that wouldn't be the right approach in this situation so you kind of get this nuanced you know feedback from from you know kind of a virtual coach and and it doesn't have to be a, a coach it can just be from feedback from the situation itself so so we're, we're we're in this kind of quite realistic virtual reality experience and we're also getting an AI kind of coach, if that's if that's the appropriate learning partner. So that's really quite exciting because that's that AI, of course, is going to be easily scalable. I mean, there may be a cost associated with it, license type cost, but I mean, technically, it's fairly easily scalable. And I guess when we're talking about virtual reality environments, we're not necessarily talking about Star Trek holodeck kind of level of experience. We're talking about something a little bit simpler than that. 
Yeah, not yet. And I think it's even far as the AI, the AI goes that we're providing the you know the level of of intelligence in the code is that that we can. It's not going to be immersive behavior. It's not going to be. We can just look at uh, you know our our phones and and Siri and how well Siri does and doesn't do. <laughs> how well it doesn't do. And you kind of know where we are right now that we it's not going to be that that coach. So it has to be actually embedded in in the software. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a really good example actually because Siri is not brilliant in terms of if, if that's as, if, if that's the kind of cutting edge of interactive ai then yeah i agree we're not quite there yet yeah and in, in terms of like realism itself i mean obviously when we're delivering face-to-face workshops we'll usually work with some kind of role play maybe or case studies or something along those lines we'll have people acting out certain scenes so that we can give them some idea of the practicing a model that we may have introduced. You're talking about realism in a much better, a much higher level, much more realistic. Just how important is that? How much difference does that really make? Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's very important. And it's, uh, you know, I think because you want to make that virtual experience as real as possible. So it becomes transferred to the real world. And there is a lot of evidence, you know, if you, to this, that researchers over the past 40 years have you looked at what academics call high fidelity simulations, which high fidelity means that they're highly realistic and representing the real thing. And, that, and these simulations have been proven in medicine, military, aviation, and other fields to not only improve retention, but also transfer to to real world situations, behavior change. So you can look at it as like a flight simulator, which, uh, or, or maybe better a simulator for Apollo 13 that really saved the astronauts. That's where the physical reality really matters. That, but then when you start talking about this cognitive, invisible thinking stuff, you know, you might be as well, what is, how does realism matter there? And I think there, it matters that the the conversation it's around the conversation if it's a if it's a conversation that's the realism so you don't want to be using text and pictures if if the if if it's a conversation so you really want to 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 be able to create kind of a virtual conversation right yeah those are really good examples i was thinking as well i guess that if you're using the technology at this point measuring how well this is working is going to be easier i would assume is that right i think that's a that's a huge bonus um but it has to be built in from the very beginning but you're going to get results of decisions and the results of decisions only matter within the context of what that decision is so you really want to start with kind of the performance gaps practice gaps and then for the decisions and then have output from that in your in your metrics to be the, you know, where those, what practice gaps do they need the most coaching on, for example. So then it becomes valuable because you're going to get, a, you get a ton of data from these, uh, from, from a simulation and, and from making all these decisions. So it really, if it's put in the right context, it can be very valuable. And I think that's a huge bonus from the technology standpoint, because we often hear from your organizations, they don't get that from one-on-one coaching because it's really a more of a subjective evaluation from from one individual yeah and of course it's got a certain amount of it's kind of it's obviously very subjective but it's also wrapped up in a certain amount of confidentiality and things like that i'm 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 just thinking i mean this this is a really interesting conversation and i can 
I'm quite excited about the principle of that we've talked about in terms of this virtual reality plus some kind of AI type coaching around that situational decision making. I think that's all brilliant. But how do I do it? <laughs> it's uh well that's really the, the 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 challenge here. I think when we we first think when you think about virtual reality, I don't know if you've um, most people start thinking right away about virtuality is just all, all over. What we're talking about is really creating a 3D experience where you can actually look around and be in the environment. And and that's what people often think about. And um, it's very exciting. I don't know if you've ever done it, but it's it's a blast to do. No, I haven't. No. Yeah, it's really a lot of fun. And it, it, it has a and it's really has a but it has a ways to go with mainstream uh, learning it. Uh, if you really want to have an interactive experience using that technology, you need to have very uh, beefy hardware, a really a, a pretty high-end graphics card. Um, so it kind of sounds familiar to what we <laughs> we started that conversation and what we were experiencing a number of years ago with just game technology. So so that's more of an expensive view of it. And but I think that's going to all come down, just like in the game technology example, that's going to all come down and be uh, much more cost-effective in the future. Today, though, there's a lot of technologies for virtual reality where you have so you you can create a 360 degree video of a place and look around, or you can you can have a fly through a very simplified area without much interaction, and that can actually be done with just a simple phone, uh, with you know phone technology with a headset. So it all requires you know you know putting a headset on, and and so that's the one part of you know one area of virtual reality of in learning that people are talking about today, which I think is it, it's coming along and has lots of promise. Um, but that there's the whole other aspect of virtual reality of or, or say just say virtual, which is not VR, which is more around just focusing more on the game technology itself that's used on you know game consoles, computers, on phones now. And it's really ubiquitous from the entertainment industry. And so we can apply that to, to learning. And that's that's here today. And that's really what we've been been focusing on and that that technology as a way to solve this problem. Do you want to, can you just say a bit more about that? In what way do you mean using technology to do that? I'm sorry, I'm not quite clear in what way you're actually using it and what, what would I see as a learner? Yes. So, so imagine then for uh, what we've been doing is developing you know, a, kind of a simulation of that, that situation where you're kind of immersing the learner in a realistic situation where there's virtual humans. So we could pick a, an example of, a, well, let's pick an example of a, a, a sales professional and a, and a prospect. They could be there and there could be interactions. And then the, and the learners then making decisions on, you know, how best to proceed. And they're getting feedback and then they can get, they're getting conversational vir- virtual coaching feedback as they, as they move forward. And so that be, it becomes a, a conversation with these virtual, virtual humans and they're, they're learning from the decisions they're making and the feedback they're getting. Am I am I doing that in a browser, in a, a laptop? Am I walking around with a phone? No, this is uh yeah, this is actually can be in a phone and uh, uh, and it's uh our technology actually runs on a browser. It's very difficult to do in, in a browser on a mobile device because of all the restrictions with uh you know in in the power and and the and the uh, computing power of of a phone, but we're able to do it, you know, and have these conversations even on the phone. Because what we found is that it, it, you can run it on a, a desktop or laptop, but often a lot of uh, the the end users just it's much easier for them to be accessing 
these experiences on on mobile devices. So we wanted to do it on browsers rather than to do it in you know apps because then you can actually scale it and deploy it you know rapidly to to lots of learners and you know you know, have much more of a much more control and allow you know you know uh, customers have much more control over the the you know how the experience is deployed and getting the data back. Yeah, I was thinking because if you're talking about realism being important, then and to some extent being able to have it on your phone and physically move in a way that it, that is more realistic to the actual experience or physically stand rather than be strapped to a desk where you where you might be with a desktop or laptop browser that might make it more realistic albeit in a it might might seem like a fairly small point but i think things like that are quite important yeah and if you think about you're going to a big sales meeting and you might just kind of want some refresher you're probably going to be in the car or on public transport of some sort therefore you're going to want fairly mobile access to just in time content that would just Mm -hmm. refresh uh, maybe give you a bit of confidence refresh your thinking around that stuff yeah, it's very difficult. I we I don't know if anyone else that's that's trying to do or, or doing this. <laughs> so, uh, we've uh, been working here in the states with the National Science Foundation. They have a what they call the Small Business Innovative Research Program, and uh, you know we've won several awards from them, and it's really been developed as technology. So I don't think it's been it's not readily available elsewhere to run in browsers like this. But we're we're thinking that that's really important to be able to have these experiences available just like any e-learning e-learning the best e-learning just happens you know in a browser that's easy to access and as a as a platform we want to be able to do the same thing with uh, you know coaching and this virtual coaching platform as well is there something that i can do as somebody who's not working in the anyway well i was just going to say i mean this this is your sort of life and business isn't it you this is the research you're doing you're at the forefront of a lot of this thinking is there something that i can do who is not at the forefront of this thinking to put it mildly we're right now we're uh, we're at the point that we we develop you know individual modules for for customers and it's all customized to their particular practice gaps and so uh, you know, and to provide the you know the a training module. But our goal that to roll out next year is to actually be able to allow organizations to actually build their own, to, so they could actually customize a module and actually build the content themselves. And so that's really uh, really be phenomenal to do. <laughs> and so yeah. we're very excited to do that and to to allow others to kind of, you know, and because sometimes it's not the to build that first module that you because this is a lot of nonlinear thinking and to to do it the first time you know working with us you kind of learn the ropes of how to actually think that way and do it but after that a lot of times what happens is you 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 want to change things you know you have this great module but something has changed and you want to update it and you know if you have a video you can imagine a video it's very difficult to update it you know you have to once it becomes a video, it's very hard to tear apart. And if there's actors involved, they're not, you know, you, you can't bring it all together. So you're really starting over. It's very difficult for us. You know, our, our virtual humans, they, they have a very flexible work schedule. And yeah. so they don't cause you too many problems. Yeah, they, they don't cause any problems. And so that, uh, that works really well with the changes and, uh, you know, so you can adapt it over time. So we're thinking that's probably the first thing that we you know our customers want to do is just change their modules themselves without 
needing to to involve, involve us and then eventually be able to start building out modules themselves. So that's kind of the future. And so you know, so now we're we're building out the modules you know individually. So. Yeah, in the near future, by the sound of it, so which is quite exciting because to to be able to include that kind of thing in learning programs sounds like a real make make it a lot more transformational in terms of people's ability to to adopt new skills. Yes, that's what we're we're trying to do is make this as straightforward as possible and cost effective as possible. I think that's one reason we wanted to move to to the browser that there's a lot of you know powerful web development tools that were that really only came into existence in the last couple of years that allow us to do this. So it really is if you think about it, we just uh, we started the company 15 years ago with you know game technology and where it was and now you can use web technology to implement the, these technologies, which is just fantastic because it brings the cost down. It makes it uh, you know, deployment much faster. Um, and so it's really exciting time for um, learning technologies and for training. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. And it all sounds quite doable. I mean, you haven't wowed me with technological science, particularly in the sense that I, I feel it's something that I could engage with. It, it You know, it doesn't feel out of reach for me as a as an L&D professional. And that's what's quite exciting. And we're hoping that's that's true because it's the, the situations are really there there would be your situations that you you know or there's a lot of performance gaps around. So being an expert and knowing what those gaps are, we're just providing a way of expressing that in a scalable way. Yeah, I I, I really like the way you express that then. We know where the performance gaps are, and then we're using this to to help. And and it goes back to what you were saying in terms of skill acquisition is around that practice plus coaching. And a lot of the time, we're leaving so much of that to chance. And what we are doing is putting quite a lot into the knowledge acquisition plus starting the ball rolling on skill acquisition and providing some good scaffolding. But a lot the, the, there's a massive gap there in terms of learning support. And it's because of the scalability thing that you mentioned. I hadn't thought about it in such crystal clear terms, but it is about that scalability. And, and unless you're taking people through that process, so, uh, I mean, obviously some people probably do it themselves, but unless you're really getting people to do that practice plus coaching kind of process so that they are, when they get into those situations, their decision-making is is on the money, then we're not really going to push forward in terms of organizational performance. So it's a, it's, it's a real enabling, uh, a, a real enabling tool that I don't know. To me, seems really exciting. You convinced me. You said you wanted to convince me. You convinced me. Oh, terrific! <laughs> Wonderful. No, it's a really, really interesting. Uh, you know, a really interesting conversation. And if people want to look at the Trainer Tools website, you'll see a link to to Doug and his uh, organization. And I don't know if there's any information you can provide that I can put on the site that can so people can have a look at what this looks like. That might be quite interesting as well. Yes, we'll put some links on um, uh, to backtoscientist.com that they can uh, they can access and they can you know, see what we're we're talking about. I think you know that uh, you'll kind of actually see it in action. I think would help <laughs> to yeah to really understand what it's all about. Yeah, yeah that's the drawback of a podcast. People can't actually see what we're talking about, but the the good thing is they can't see us either. So it's it's swings and roundabouts. <laughs> Listen, Doug, thank you very much for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation and you've given me lots of kind of things to think about. It's been inspiring. So thank you very much for your time. Well, John, thank, thank you. This is really a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks.